0: We turn the holy inspired word of God this afternoon to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Just last Sunday, I began a series on the book of John, the Gospel according to John. And it's my intention to use this as an Advent series and then also I'm going to preach uh, beyond uh, that probably through the first at least three chapters of the book of John. But the sermon uh, this afternoon is meant to be uh, an Advent sermon as we're looking forward to the remembrance and celebration of the birth of our Savior Jesus Christ. So the text will be the first three verses and we'll read the first 14 He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And thus far, we read God's Word. As I said, the text is the first three verses, familiar verses to us, no doubt. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? I start with that question because essentially that is the question that John is answering in this entire book. Not just in the first three verses of it, but in this entire book. He's answering the question, who is is Jesus. We know that not simply from reading the entire book and then coming to that conclusion. We know this because John himself tells us that. He doesn't tell us that at the beginning. We might expect that he would tell us the purpose for the writing of this book at the beginning. He doesn't tell us there, but he tells us toward the end of the book. So, if you would like, you can turn with me to John chapter 20. And there you read John's purpose for writing the book under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. At the end of chapter 20, in verses 30 and 31, we read there, And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that... And the word that there tells us, here's purpose, that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing, ye might have life through his name. So John is writing to answer the question, who is Jesus? And the answer of the entire book is, he's the Christ, he's the Messiah, and he is the Son of God, but he's not writing simply to give us that information. He's writing with this in mind. That those who don't believe this would believe this. So John is writing as someone who knew Jesus personally. Who knew him through his earthly ministry. He listened to Jesus. He saw Jesus he knew Jesus personally. In fact, he was one of the three closer disciples to Jesus. That's the John who is writing this book. And he's writing with this in mind, that those who don't know Jesus would know him. That those who are Jews and don't know Jesus, that they would believe that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that those Greeks and Gentiles that don't know Jesus, that they would come to see and know him as the Christ and the Son of the living God. And that's why this is so important for us, not that this is a crowd of those who don't believe in Jesus, but that we would remember who Jesus is, and that we are called to believe in his name. Now a couple of things that are unique about the book First of all, when you compare John to the other synoptics, and that's what Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called, they're called the synoptic gospels because they're so similar. John, John is very different than the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. There are certain things in Jesus' life that John looks at from a similar perspective, but there are many things that are different. John omits many things that are found in these other gospel accounts. For example, in this gospel account, there's no account of Jesus' birth. There's no account of Jesus' baptism. There's no account of the institution of the Lord's Supper. There's no historical account of the ascension of Jesus Christ. And none of the parables of Jesus are found in the book of John. For that reason, there have been some who have said that the book of John does not to the canon of Scripture, and they've said that, well, John probably wasn't the one who wrote it. But we don't have to take our time with looking at some of those arguments because really they're not worth looking at, in my estimation. But there are other things that are unique about the book. For example, in this gospel account, it's the only one that speaks of Jesus' miracle of changing water into wine. He alone speaks of Nicodemus when he comes to Jesus. He alone speaks of the woman that Jesus met at Jacob's well, the Samaritan woman. He alone writes of the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And it's in the gospel according to John that we have the seven I am statements that you do not find in the other gospel accounts. When you take a look at the entire book, the book is so important in the canon of Scripture. So important that Martin Luther said about it that if all of the other books of the Bible were stolen or taken away, if the book of John and the book of Romans yet remained, the gospel would still remain. That was the comment of Martin Luther on the importance of this book. And from a different perspective, it is important. I knew someone a long time ago who, in studying the book of John and doing so really as a new Reformed believer, took five different colored highlighters and highlighted through the book of John according to the five points of Calvinism and found that the book is rich in what it teaches us about those five points of Calvinism that we know well by the acronym TULIP. Toll depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement or definite atonement, irresistible grace, and the preservation of the saints. All those five points are found here in this book. Now, this afternoon, when we look at this gospel account, we go to the beginning verses. And the question is, where does John begin? And this shows the uniqueness of this gospel account as well. Matthew, he begins with a genealogy of Jesus. Luke, he begins with historical events that happened just before, in the months before, Jesus was born. Mark, he jumps right into the account of the ministry of Jesus Christ. Where does John go? John goes to the beginning. You might say, well, the beginning of what? No, he goes to the beginning. The beginning of the world. The moment when God created the heavens and the earth. And what John is saying is that the word existed at that time. And along with that, he calls Jesus, the one who we know as our Savior. He identifies him as the word. So this afternoon, that's what we want to look at. We want to understand why John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, calls Jesus the Word and all that that means. So our theme today is that, the Word, or who is Jesus the Word? First, that he is the eternal Word. Secondly, he is the effective Word. And thirdly, he is the equal Word. First of all, we want to look at that name, word. That name in the Greek is logos. You've maybe heard of that Greek word, logos. And essentially, there are two ideas that are connected to it. First of all, word refers to what gives expression to the inner thoughts of a man or to what is found in his soul. And then that word, word, speaks of how those thoughts are put into words to speak them to others so that they understand what is in our minds. Maybe you've had it said before to you, or you've said it yourself. I don't read minds. I I need you to communicate to me. Maybe as parents, we've said that to our children. I can't read your mind. I need you to tell me. Or maybe we've said that in our marriages. I don't read a mind. Can you please tell me what you're thinking? Otherwise, I don't know. That's what a word does. That teaches us that Jesus is the living word of God to the church. He is the channel of communication from the Father. Jesus is the revelation of God personally. The idea of it is this. He's the spirit. Spokesman of God. The president of the United States has a spokesman or a spokeswoman. It's one who is the uh, secretary and stands before all of the media and the press and will speak from the president to the press and in that way to the country. And that's the idea here. Jesus is the spokesman of God to his People. Now John, he uses the word that he does here in the text to speak to both Jews and Gentiles. He's speaking to Jews here with this word because when he speaks of the word, the Old Testament scriptures would have come before their minds and they understand what John is referring to. He's referring back to a passage like Psalm 33 verse 6. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made. We sang those words a few moments ago. That's the idea as well that's found in Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2. I, I think he had a sermon on that last Sunday by Prof. Dykstra. In fact, I was concerned that my sermon today was going to be too much like his, but I didn't listen to his whole sermon that the idea and thought, well, this would be more like a that you have for visiting pastors. I think it fits alongside of it. But Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2, God who at sundry times and at diverse manners spake in time past, uh, uh, by, uh, spake in times past by the prophets and hath in these last days spoken to us by his son. So again the idea of word would have been familiar to the Jews. But this Greek word would have also been familiar to the Gentiles, the Greeks of that day, because it was a word that was often used by the Greek philosophers. But the Greek philosophers of that day said that everything is in a state of chaos and change. There are no ideas or truths that remain the same, everything's moving and changing. John is writing to say, No, there is truth. There is unchanging truth in this world. And it's from the one who is the word, the revelation of God. That points us to something about God. God is a God who in his mercy reveals himself to his people. If God didn't do that, we would not know him. We need a God who reveals himself. And the idea of the passage here is that he does that most fully through his son, Jesus Christ. He does this through a person. One of the ways that we understand that and know that is from what scripture teaches us about who Christ is. Remember, he's our prophet, priest, and king. What does he do as our prophet? Well, as our chief prophet, he has come to reveal the secret counsel of God and will of God concerning our redemption and salvation. Now, if those words are familiar to you, they should be, because they're right out of the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 12. But the idea is this. When Jesus comes and reveals God to us, it's not that he just reveals Facts about God. So that we know different things about God. But more than that, what Jesus comes to do is to reveal the very heart of God to his people. So that we know not only who God is, but we know what his desire is toward his people. The word then, Jesus Christ, is the one who reveals God and his heart more clearly than anyone else. See what that means for life. If you want to know about sin, your sin. If you want to know about the sin of others. And if you want to know about salvation, your salvation and salvation of others. If you want to know... And the place that it has in our lives. If you want to know how we're called to respond to all of these things that we face in life. Where do we go? Well the answer of John is we go to the word. We go to the one who is the personal revelation of God to his church and to his people. Because there is no true knowledge apart from him. He gives the truth through which we can see everything else rightly in this world. So much so that if you don't have the word Jesus Christ, you and I cannot understand anything else in this world. Now, the question that we face as we look at this one who is the word is this Why should I believe in him? And why should I trust him? Why believe in him? And why trust him? Well, it's because of what the passage teaches us about the word. First of all, it teaches us that he is the eternal word. That's the idea that we have in verses, well, all three verses of the text. In the beginning was the word. Then verse 2. The same was in the beginning with God. And then verse 3, all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. What John is doing here is he's taking us back to Genesis 1 verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What John does when he takes us back to Genesis 1 verse 1, as he substitutes... Of the name God, the name Word. In the beginning was the Word. What John is saying here is that when God created, the Word existed. And it wasn't because God created the Word first and then everything else, but it's because He is eternal. Thus, before the world existed and before time existed, the Word existed. Before the world was, the Word was. And the idea is this. No matter how far back you the Word has always existed. You don't simply find Him at creation when God created all things. You find him before creation. And thus, the point of John is, the word is eternal. He has no beginning and no end. One of the church fathers said this, There never was when he was not. There never was when he was not. John is not the only one who says that in Scripture. It's already revealed in the Old Testament. If you go to Proverbs chapter 8, we read that there. Proverbs chapter 8. In Proverbs 8, wisdom is personified. That means wisdom is set before us as a person because the wisdom that Solomon is writing about there is the Word who is Christ. So he's writing about Him who is to come. And in Proverbs 8, 27-30, we read there, When he prepared the heavens, I was there. Wisdom, I was there. When he set a compass upon the face of the depth, when he established the clouds above, when he strengthened the fountains of the deep, when he gave to the sea his decree that the waters should not pass his commandment, when he appointed the foundations of the earth, then I was by him as one brought up with him. And I was daily his delight, rejoicing always, before him. So that's that the word Christ is eternal, the eternal Son of God. Then you think about the book of Revelation. What is Christ? Alpha and Omega. First and last letter of the Greek alphabet. Beginning and the end. And the point is not that he exists from the beginning and to the end, but he's existed always, having no beginning and no end. So this word is to be believed and trusted because he is Jesus Christ, our Savior. When he came, or if you want to talk about the Greeks of that day, he was not the new philosopher on the block. He wasn't someone brand new who came out of nowhere. No, the Son of God, the Word, existed from all eternity. And this is why we believe in Him and we trust in Him. If there's someone new who comes along, the question comes up, well, why should I believe you? You're telling me something different. Why should I trust in what you say? You're new. You're a young man. Why do I believe and trust in you? But Jesus, why do we believe and trust in Him? He's the Word who is eternal. Not only was He the creating agent of God there in the beginning, but He did all of this to reveal God. That's what John is saying. In the beginning was the Word. He was there in the beginning, revealing God already there in the creation of the world. Because this is true, he is a prophet who is to be believed. In the end, in the end, he's the only one to be believed. You and I have seen something that is at times heartbreaking and gut-wrenching when leaders in the church fall. Or leaders in the church say, I'm finished. I'm not going to do this anymore. And we've seen that in our churches and it just doesn't, it's not only in our churches where this happens. You start reading in the church world today. It's happening all around us. Men are getting burned out. Others are falling into great sin. But the result of that can be within the church that we begin to look at church leaders and become a bit cynical and skeptical, when's it going to happen to the next one? Why should I trust in him? Why should I believe in him? And the answer in the end is you can't really trust in any of us or believe in any of us. It's not saying you shouldn't. But in the end, there's only one we really trust in. And that's the word. Because he's eternal, because he's eternal. Because his revelation is true and his revelation is right. And what that means is that everything else that is written, everything else that is spoken, it all must stand up to him and to his revelation because he, he is the word. He alone is the prophet who speaks truth. So first of all, we see that about him. He is the eternal word. Secondly, notice with me that he is the effective word. He is the effective word. This is something that comes out again in verses 1 and 2. We read in verse 1, God Verse 2, we read something similar. The same was in the beginning with God. There are two things that we learn from those words in the text. The first is this that the Word is a distinct person in the Holy Trinity. So, what John is setting before us here is that the Word is the second person of the Holy Trinity, distinct or different from the Father and the Holy Spirit. And we will see that He is God. That's the last point to that, And really everything in the text is built on that, that the Word is God. That's part of His being e- the eternal Word. Look at that specifically in the last point. But here we notice He is the second person of the Holy Trinity. And this is not something abstract. This is not some abstract metaphysical concept or idea. When I say metaphysical, it is a philosophical term that simply means an abstract idea of being or beginning. Our looking at the word as the second person of the Trinity is not an abstract idea. And that's evident from what John said at the end of his book, and which we looked at earlier, at the end of chapter 20 when he says, but these are that you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That's no abstract concept. It's vital. It's fundamental. The Son is distinct from the Father and the Holy Spirit. The Son is begotten of the Father and from the Son proceeds the Holy Spirit and from the Father The Son proceeds the Holy Spirit, but the Word is a distinct person in the Godhead. Now, that's important to understand for the second concept and idea here, which is the main thrust of what John is getting at. When we read the with God, literally it means this: the Word was toward God. That's a beautiful idea the idea of two friends who are and when you gazing into Beauty of the spouse that God had given to you. That's the idea here. The word was toward God. The idea the Son and the Father face to face, gazing at one another from all eternity and never taking their eyes off one another. It doesn't get any more intimate or closer than this. And the one who gazes upon the face of God is the Word, the revelation of God to us. Thus the idea is, there's no one more qualified to reveal God to us than the one who gazes upon the face of God himself personally. He's part of the inner circle of God as the second person of the Godhead. He not only sees God and knows God, He knows the very heart of God for his son and for his people. Because as he gazes into the face of God, he can see what's on the face of God as it's a revelation of what is in his heart. Ways that we can understand that is by going to the Old Testament example of Moses. Remember when Moses was up on Mount Sinai? And he requested to see the glory of God. To see the backside of his glory. Because that's all he could handle. And when Moses came down from the mount after seeing the glory of God, his face was radiating. It was shining with the reflection of the glory of God. So also, that's the way the word comes to us. With the revelation of God to us as he has seen the face of God. He has spent all eternity gazing into the face of God and now comes to reveal him to us in a way that we can see him and understand him. And this is what makes him an effective word to us. There are two things that we learn then from this. Two things that we learn. The first is this we learn something about God Himself. God is a God who is full and complete in Himself. That's what we learn from this idea that the word was toward God. That means that God is full of complete in himself. Again, that's not abstract. But in those moments when we get too big for our britches because we think we know so much, we think we know God and we know so much about Jesus Christ, this puts us in our place. Or when we get too big for our britches and we think that we're somehow adding to God and doing something for God, this reminds us that's that's never the case. That's never the case. By the very fact that the word looks into the face of God, we see that the triune God is full and complete in Himself. The Father and the Son through the Spirit enjoy perfect life and fellowship with each other. Unless God does not need us, He doesn't. He doesn't need our counsel. He doesn't need our advice. In our praise and even in our worship, we do not add anything to God. He's a God who owns everything. He's a God who has everything in himself. And yet, this God who's full and complete has determined from all eternity to come down to this earth in his Son to reveal himself and and to suffer, and to die, and make full payment for all our sins. It's in that that we see the love of God for us in Jesus Christ. So that, first of all, we learn that God is full and complete in himself. The second thing that we learn from this, that the word is toward God, is that when we, by faith, look upon the face of Jesus, not only do we see God, but in Jesus we see the very heart of God toward us. In the life and in the ministry of Jesus Christ and in everything that he did, we see the heart of God towards us. Don't you want to know that? Not only what has God done, but what's his attitude toward me? What's his attitude toward us? When we're being chastened and we feel that chastening, when we're struggling in our lives because of hardships and difficulties that God sends, here's the question. Does God love me? The psalmist so often asks that: is, is he taking his face away from me? Is his favor gone? Is his love gone? Does he not love me anymore? Good of God towards me and towards us. To know that by faith. We look into the face of Jesus Christ, because in the face of Jesus Christ, you have the revelation of the face of God, and you have the revelation of what is in the heart of God towards His people. And then, then, you, the Son of God becoming flesh. What love. And you think about the perfect Son of God, Dying upon the cross of Calvary. What love. And you think about Jesus ruling in heavenly glory over all things. For the good, those for whom he died. Even though we sin against him. What love. When we look at Jesus. When we look at the word. The one who is the revelation of God to us. We see the very heart of God. And then when we learn of God through him we learn to trust entirely upon God. It's part of the application of this word to us this afternoon and it it, it implies a question. Do you right now rely entirely upon God? Remember Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Familiar words. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. When Solomon writes that, he knows his own inclination and ours to rely at least in part upon ourselves and our own understanding. So that we would say, are you trusting in God? Yes. Okay, but maybe put a percentage to it. 90%, 80%, 50%? When it comes to your financial situation, when it comes to work, when it comes to the schoolwork that you have, when it comes to your marriage, when it comes to parenting, when it comes to your children and, and how they will grow up and will they love the Lord, on whom are we relying on ourselves or upon God? Are we lying completely, fully, one hundred percent on him, or are we, well, oh, I'm kind of leaning, but I'm holding myself up a little bit as well. I think of some of those team building exercises, well, where they will say to a person persons behind them and well, just fall back, trust that I will catch you. And Maybe sometimes knowing the person that is behind us, we're not so trusting. But now we're talking about God and the Word. Do we rely upon Him entirely so that the full weight of all our burdens, all our sins, all our struggles, we place it all, all on Him? Are we relying upon Him alone and are we relying upon him entirely? We do. We ought to. Because the word is the effective word. So the word who is eternal and this word who is effectual, this word is also. We read of that as well in verse 1. And the word was God. Literally, and God was the word. That's the literal word order of the original. And God was the word. Now, we might look at that and say, why is the verb in the past tense, the word was God? Because when we think of was, we think of snapshot. Snapshot. So at one time, the word was God. Why does it say it that way? Well, that doesn't completely capture the idea of it. There's a tense in the Greek language that means it's ongoing in the past and continues into the present. And that's the one that is used here. The idea is that it's constant in the past and continues into the present. So we could translate it this way. The word was and is God. The word was and is God. God. So John is not simply saying something for the past, he's saying something for the present as well. And thus, we see is the beautiful truth of the Trinity here, that the Word is equal to the Father and the Holy Spirit. The Word is fully God. Here's part of Theology 101, Truth of the Trinity 101. We know that God is one in being and three in person. And that means that all three persons of the Holy Trinity, although distinct, are all fully God, co-eternal, co-essential. What that means is that the Word possesses all of the attributes of God with the Father and the Holy Spirit. He is eternal like God is eternal. He has no beginning and no end. He is fully and completely God. Let's see what that means for us, beloved. What that means is that the words of Jesus are the words of God. And the deeds of Jesus are the deeds of God. It's not just the words of another prophet. It's not just the deeds of another man. But when we look at the life of Jesus, we're hearing the words of God, and we're seeing the deeds or the acts of God himself. So when he changes water into wine, we're seeing a work of God. When he cleanses the temple and his enemies are asking, by what authority do you do these things? He has the highest authority. I am God. I am word. And the word was and is God. Now again, see the importance of that for understanding the word. Because this is true of him, because he's equal with God, we believe him. His word is authoritative. Because his word is authoritative, we obey it. Because his word is always truth, we believe it. And we trust that he's always speaking truth in what he says. And thus we will hear him, we will listen to him, we will trust in him, and we will obey him. Now, as we put all of that together this afternoon, what a beautiful revelation that we have here in this passage. We see the beautiful truth that God in his love for us communicates with us. He's not a God who closes himself off. Just think about that for a moment. How often don't we do that in our personal relationships? If we feel like someone's not listening to us, I'm not going to talk to them then. I'll give him the cold shoulder. I'm done. Thankfully, God does not do that. He doesn't give us the cold shoulder. He doesn't say, I'm finished talking to these people because they won't listen to me. How often do we refuse to listen? And God still speaks. That shows the very love of God for his people. And he speaks to us in ways that we can understand. And he gives us the Holy Spirit so that we can understand what he is saying to us through Jesus Christ. Now when we see that and understand that, that makes every word of our Savior so precious to us. When we read here, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Our response in the end is this. What a precious Word. And more than anything else, I want to know what Jesus says. Again, That's so important in our day. Because sometimes what we do, there's not anything wrong of itself in it, but we can look at, well, what does so-and-so say about this? What does Professor so-and-so? What does Reverend so-and-so say about this? What does Martin Luther say? What does John Calvin say? What does Augustine say? And what does so-and-so say? And then we read blogs and we read articles. But we're always questioning, well, what's reliable information? Here it is doesn't get more reliable than this because the word who is the son of God speaks to us in this word and it's his living word to us we live in a world where there's fake news there are things that are false that are said by the media and they think that if they say it enough no matter how false it is that people will believe it and when it comes to news sources we or two, where can I get a reliable news source? Well in the end you won't find one that is completely reliable every man or has their bias but not the word he's truth so what's important for us in the end is do we cling to what he says and do we know what he says that leads us and guides us In all of life. How beautiful is this word then for us. He is the word. Are we listening? Are we believing? And are we obeying? We ought to. He is the word who is eternal. He is the word who is effectual. And he is the word who is equal. To the Father and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven. We are thankful for the preached word. But more than that, we're thankful for the one who is the word. That thou hast given him to us, that we may know thee, the one true and living God. And that we may not only know what thou hast done, but that we may also know thy very heart toward us by faith. Assure us of that today, that we would know thy love. And if there are those who don't know that, May they repent of their sins and believe in Jesus Christ. O oh God, continue to bless us in our fellowship in this day. And may we honor thee in the rest of this day as well and strengthen us for the callings that we have in this new week. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.